Pastor Xavier Reese and the effects of fervent prayer. Through prayer, we can be victorious. Through prayer, we can guard our weaknesses. Through prayer, we can overcome temptations. Through prayer, we can align ourselves with the will of God. Let's persevere in passionate prayer lest we settle for our own will. Let's be aware that prayer is to change me, change my mind. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. For success in the most difficult times of life, some have said, do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. So when Jesus, the Son of God, was anticipating His crucifixion, the power of prayer is the simple truth that beamed brightness from the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of His betrayal. In fact, Pastor Xavier draws out many key elements for victory through prayer today as he examines the account from the Gospel of Luke. Let's listen. Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at verses 39 to 46, and the message is entitled, Victory Through Prayer. The plot to kill Jesus was underway already. The beginning of the chapter tells us, the Lord, being exceedingly sorrowful, goes to prayer anticipating his death, which is described by three things. First, we have the Lord's place of prayer. Second, we have the Lord's passion in prayer. And thirdly, the Lord's perspective through prayer. The Lord's place of prayer comes first, 39 through 40. Notice the Lord Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray. The specific area of Mount of Olives is familiar to Jesus, it says here. It's a place where he was accustomed to go. The place is called Gethsemane, which means olive press. Notice the Lord Jesus arriving to the Garden of Gethsemane instructed the disciples to pray. Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples for the trial about to come upon them. That's why he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Here is the greatness of our God. In the most intense and most difficult point of his ministry, he's first of all considering the benefit of his apostles and disciples. He's looking out for them. The Mount of Olives is an important location in Scripture, as you know. Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. As the disciples looked up in Acts 1, 9 through 12, the angel says, why do you men stand here gazing up the very same way that Jesus left? He's going to come back. When Jesus returns with his church, he will come to the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14, 4 says, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem in the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making the very large valley. Half of the mountains shall move towards the north and half towards the south. It'll be on the Mount of Olives that his foot will touch. So the Lord's place of prayer was well known. But notice, secondly, the Lord's passion in prayer comes in verse 41 through 44. In 41, the passion of Jesus is marked first by solitude. He separated himself from his disciples about 25 to 30 feet of stone's throw, sufficient space to have privacy with the Father due to the agony before him. It's a very serious time 
Listen to the words saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. The cup is nothing but the wrath of God. Psalm 11, 16, Isaiah 51, 17, and Jeremiah 25, 15, and others, cup of wrath. It's God's wrath. In a way that we'll never understand a mystery in itself, Jesus Christ, who was with the Father from all eternity, emptied himself of his glory, divested himself, took on flesh for a set time, but he was still in communion with the Father. But at the cross, he would be totally separated from God in a way that you and I cannot understand because he would become sin. And there would be such a violation, such a horrible thing to take place that we don't know how. We can't explain it. But so much so that we're going to see some of the evidence of that physically in our text in the next verses. Notice next, the passion of Jesus is marked by loving submission. Verse 42 there at the end. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The obedience to the will of the Father was submitted and yielded out of love. Then notice the passion of Jesus is marked by strength in verse 43. Notice that the progression. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. This was an answer to his prayer in the previous verse, verse 42. The will of the Father, the submission of the Son, Jesus Christ. The fact that an angel appears here to Jesus is evidence of his weak, agonizing human nature. He was 100% man, just as you and I. We read often Jesus ate, Jesus slept, Jesus tired. He bled on the cross. Allow me some liberty, if you will, Here's this angel, he comes down. This angel looks at Jesus. This angel has known Jesus in heaven from all eternity when he was created. And he served Jesus. And Jesus, who is God, the second person of God, had emptied himself of his glory. He came down, and he is seeing God in this agonizing position in the incarnation. And he, a mere angel, has been sent by the Father to strengthen the Son Whoa, there, there must have been such a brokenness in that angel, such a reverence in that angel. The strength imparted to Jesus was from the Father. The angel was a mere vessel, an envoy. Notice the provider's strength brought the agony to the highest peak by virtue of not giving in to it, but rather resisting it. So before things would get better, they got worse. You see, um, whenever we give in to sin, we never experience the full strength of that temptation or trial because we give in short of the full potential of its strength. When we resist sin and are victorious to its full end, then we experience the full strength of that temptation and trial. We resist to the end. Jesus was strengthened to resist the full impact of this trial. Jesus says um, through Paul that God will never allow us to be tested more than we're able to give us a way of escape in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He's ever faithful. Notice in 44, the passion of Jesus next is marked by suffering. And being in agony, he prayed more earnest than his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. The phrase being in agony 
in the Greek is called punctilio in the Greek, involving the mental, the emotional, the physical, and spiritual distress. So don't separate. Don't say, well, it's just physical. No, it's your, your whole being. He prayed more earnestly, and the sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The phrase more earnest means intent. This confirms Jesus resisted the trial to the maximum strength by not giving in, experiencing the ultimate power of this agony. The word drops, thrombles, medical term. It means the large, thick drop, clotted blood. The effect of the intense agony of going to the cross under the wrath of God caused his sweat to mingle with blood. This condition is well attested to by doctors. It's called hematidrosis. When the tiny blood vessels of the skin rupture and permit blood to mingle with the blood. Once again, Daniel illustrates passion and prayer as he ate no food for 21 days seeking the mind of God in Daniel 10, 2-3. We need to be alone with God and humble ourselves before him in prayer. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter 5, 6-7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. The needed time the need to hear his voice. But sometimes I go to prayer and I'm looking for me to hear God say what I want him to say. I don't want to hear what I'm afraid he's going to say. And and the problem is a condition of my heart. God will not let me slide. God will deal with me. He's faithful. Prayer is spiritual conflict and warfare always against Satan and his angels. You remember when Jesus was driven to wilderness by the Holy Spirit in Luke 4, 13, after the three temptations and victoriously, it says Satan left him till a more opportune time. If you think the guy with the red PJs is not going to come back, you're mistaken. He waits for opportune times. If you look at chapter 22, verse 3, 31, and others there, Satan's involved in this whole chapter here. Through the Pharisees, they're going to arrest him and put him to death. Prayer is spiritual, spiritual conflict and warfare. Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, bringing down the strongholds, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. Satan wants to drag you and pull you out in the arena so that you can take care of this with your weapons of flesh so your blood can be spilled on the sand. (laughs) You're no match. I am no match. I must use spiritual weapons. I will not be victorious otherwise. We have a divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. All things have been given to us pertaining to life and godliness, precious promises, to escape the corruption of the world. So I must use spiritual weapons. I must bring my thoughts into captivity. I must yield to new divine nature. 
And then I must put on the armor of God that in Ephesians 6, 9 through 18 tells us, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. The power is mine. Put on the whole armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, power, dominion of darkness, so on and so forth. Then he enumerates the armor one at a time. The last is verse 18. It's usually missed. Prayer. Prayer is part of the armor. Listen to Peter, 1 Peter 4, 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, meaning in the body, Arm yourself also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh, in this body, has ceased from sin. When suffering comes to my life, it's because it's evidence that I'm reckoning the old man dead. If I don't suffer, that means I'm giving in what's best for me. I please me. When I please the Lord and please others, it's going to bring pain and death. Because basically, I'm selfish. The middle letter of the word sin is I. Now you know why all the Mexicans say, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> I'm my biggest problem. The Lord's passion in prayer was in great agony. What an incredible passage here. Notice, thirdly, the Lord's perspective through prayer, 45 and 46. In 45, Jesus arose victorious now. All of a sudden, it's just like, what happened here? When he arose up from prayer, the intense agony was over, resolved and settled. The will of the Father became the will of the Son. He would go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. The Son would bear vicariously the sins of all and die in their place. The Son would experience the wrath of the Father, be separated from him for the first time, and die physically as a consequence of sin, a true actual payment for sin. The son was victorious over the cross. Listen, in the garden of Gethsemane, not at the cross. The victory came here, in the garden. As Jesus was committed to the full consequence of the cross to save sinners by the atoning death on the cross and his resurrection. Listen to Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. It's a commentary on this passage specifically of Gethsemane. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with them and cries and tears to him. See, we don't realize it was tears. Here he's on tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He heard him. He would deliver him from death. He would die physically, but he would raise him out from the dead in a glorified body. Evidence of the accepting of the payment and the payment in full. Jesus would be raised up from the dead and again rejoin what? In fellowship with his father. <laughs> John 17, 5, when Jesus prayed, and that's really the Lord's Prayer, John 17. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself in the glory which I had with you before the world was. Hebrews 1, 3 through 4 says, who being in the brightness of, the, of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, 
you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Have you ever bled resisting sin? <laughs> I haven't. I've never done that. Notice then Jesus recognized the weakness of his disciples. He comes full circle. His concern is his disciples more than himself. And I'd come to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. When things are um, not going well with people sometimes, they get low and despondent. Sometimes they're overwhelmed so much that sometimes they don't want to get out of bed. As you're sleeping, you don't have to deal with the problems. The other synoptic gospels add details about the three occasions that Luke omits here, again, getting the full picture. Matthew 26, 40 says, Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? In Matthew 26, 43, it says, And he came and he found them asleep again, second time. Their eyes were heavy. And then Mark 41, And he came to them a third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Then notice, lastly, Jesus gave them the secret to victory. You ready for it? Prayer. What a surprise. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Arise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Jesus, having gone through the agonizing struggle of doing the Father's will to be separated from him, knew how horrible their struggle would be by failing to pray. He knew it. Having bore his own burden, Jesus thinking of them. This is his darkest hour. And yet he's attempting to help his disciples in their coming test and burden. The warning is, lest you enter temptation. Jesus has said to them this at the very beginning in verse 40 when they arrived at Gethsemane. He comes back with the same truth that he gave them when they arrived. Matthew 26, 41 and Mark 38 give us a fuller picture. Listen to the words. Jesus says, watch and pray lest you enter to temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He warns them, do not walk in the flesh, but in the spirit. Do not confront this in the flesh, but in the spirit. Whoa. If we deal with it physically and fleshly, we will end up fighting each other rather than being joined together fighting against Satan. As husbands and wives, as the people of God. You remember the psalmist in Psalm 73 who was envious at the wicked. Their children are never sick, their cows never have miscarriages, this and that, the following. And then verse 17 says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Prayer. Lord, I was a fool before you. I was like a beast before you. Who do I have in heaven besides you? Who do I desire on earth but you? They're on slippery poles. They're ready to slip any minute. Forgive me for being envious at the wicked. 
prayer opened his eyes, brought him into reality. Prayer is like breathing air. It is essential. Through prayer, we can be victorious. Through prayer, we can guard our weaknesses. Through prayer, we can overcome temptations. Through prayer, we take precautions against our strengths, which could be double weaknesses. Through prayer, we can align ourselves with the will of God. Listen to 1 John 5, 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The will of God is found in the word of God, nowhere else. Not in your emotions, not in your feelings, not in your circumstance. The word of God. Prayer will bring you into intense spiritual warfare, by the way. At times, great agony before the victory as you submit to the will of God. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and let me close with this. We must confess our sins that plagues us that we run the race to win. First of all, verse 1 of Hebrews 12. Listen. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 1. Secondly, verse 2. We must follow the example of Jesus that he was going to be reunited with the Father Looking at the Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who, was, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Now, usually this second verse is interpreted to mean that the joy of Jesus over the salvation of sinners. But I believe the context is wrong. The true context is that he despised the shame of the cross, but endured it for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? It's given to us there at the end of verse 2. That he would be sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, reunited with the Father. That's the joy. Not that people would be saved. Yes, we find that truth in other scriptures. But the context here, the joy set before him, he's going to be reunited with the Father. What did he pray in John 75? Father, glorify me with the glory which I had before the world was. He was going back to the Father. There's the joy. That's the context. Then in verse 3, we must consider Jesus who was sinless and the epitome of holiness of which I am neither. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He didn't call it quits. He's my example. He's my source of strength. Let's persevere in passionate prayer lest we settle for our own will. Let's beware that prayer is to change me, change my mind. Let's remember prayer is to strengthen us. Not to make life miserable. The Lord's perspective through prayer was to be victorious. That's what he wants. So the Lord, being exceedingly sorrowful, went to prayer anticipating his death here in the garden. Described by these three things, the Lord's place of prayer was well known. The Lord's passion in prayer was in great agony. And the Lord's perspective through prayer 
was to be victorious. Man, I am so glad Luke wrote his gospel. So glad. Pastor Xavier Reese using Jesus' prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane to demonstrate the critical need for establishing our own personal prayer closet. And this message titled, Victory Through Prayer, is available, as always, on CD for only $4. A CD, by the way, that will include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title you'll be asking for is, Victory Through Prayer. Or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. And next time, Pastor Xavier Reese explains that even if you choose not to choose, you have chosen to be against him. So we hope you'll choose to be back with us then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.